Hello and welcome to the award-winning Canine Hoopers World podcast. Everyone's invited. Hello everybody and welcome to season three, episode eight of Canine Hoopers World, the podcast. Now I have a very lovely pet professional for you to listen to today and we are going to be talking about fairly serious subject we're going to have some laughs along the way but um this is one to listen and recommend and share the pod and get everyone to listen because today we are talking first aid um specifically canine first aid um if you want to learn about people first aid go on a course for that we are talking dogs today so without further ado Rachel Bean hello how are you hello good morning how are you I'm very well my darling so for people that don't know who you are who are you what do you do yeah, yeah. So basically, um, yeah, Rachel Bean, um, I'm a qualified veterinarian. So uh, I started my career back in um, 1994. So I started actually at the Dogs Trust um, mm-hmm. in Darlington. So yeah, assistant kennel manager. Um, and I was there for two years, or just short of two years, I think. Um, and because it was a brand new kennels, what, what was happening was once it got to capacity, um I was just dealing less with the dogs really um and more staff and people and numbers and ordering and <laughs> kind of thing and stress and yeah. um so yeah I just um I just I've always had a strong interest in veterinary medicine so um I just applied within 100 mile radius of a, a training place a veterinary nurse training place so that brought me down to the Manchester area so yeah I did my first well I went straight into practice um in 1996 but I had to wait probably about 18 months for the nurse before me to finish her training and then I could start my training so um even though you know I wasn't training at that point was still in practice still as, as a student vet nurse so yeah I got, got a lot of a lot of experience even just in that 18 months and then I started my, my training um so that took three years so yeah I got on the register Royal College of Veterinary Surgeons register sort of late 2001 going into 2002 yeah so basically I've been in practice since 1996 I mean but you could count the two years at Dogs Trust as well because there's a lot of veterinary stuff there you know getting dogs ready for 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 theatre you know with the new training and then things like that so I've always been around um sort of the veterinary environment really um just just wanted to make um a career out of it and um, a real qualification because there's nothing really um, you can do qualification wise working in rescue um although that's where my roots are you know that's where my passion is really is is um is sort of rescue um education owner education canine mm-hmm. behavior um welfare that kind of so everything that i do now which we can talk about in a bit is is kind of geared around that and and that's the main thread through throughout what i do now yeah so I've always, I've never left practice. Um, probably about um, twelve years ago, maybe I dropped. I dropped from full time down to locum in. Um, mm. so that means you can you can dot around whenever you, and wherever you want. So, yeah. And, and actually, during COVID, I've been um, working full time at events right through COVID. It's just the last six weeks, maybe. I've just dropped back down to two days a week. But yeah, this is my twenty seventh year in in practice. Wow, that's yeah. crazy. And um. Am I right in thinking you've done some like TV set stuff and film set stuff yeah. you are the responsible yeah. adult on set? Yeah, well, yeah, what we're trying to do. Uh, I mean, it start, that started probably um, 
maybe about eight or nine years ago, I've got a friend that's got um, a media company in um, Media City. We've got a little office in Media City, uh, Davinia, and um, her little hobby company is called Animal Direction. So it's a little agency, really, because within working within Media City, it's its own, it's its own little little city, if you like, and it, and and a lot of productions were like asking other companies oh we got a dog we can use for this advert she's like mm, all right I mean it's quite popular now having agencies I mean there is a lot of competition mm-hmm. um but um yeah we've, we've probably got about 60 or 80 dogs on, on the book so you know if a certain tv um company or a casting company want a certain dog or a certain look um you know if they want a dachshund or a labrador or a spaniel then we'll say oh yeah well we've got so and so so and so and they have to be so, obviously sociable and and um trained to a certain certain degree you know we will not accept any dogs that are going to uh, struggle on on set um you know emotionally or, or um, task wise um but yeah then then I was helping her sort of be the dog handler because a lot of these were coming along with their pet owners and they didn't necessarily know how to get the dog you know to move over that way or this way um so I was there really to help and we've got we've got a bank of, of helpers uh, dog handlers and then it was really obvious um well, one day, one, it was a combination. One day, there was a vet there on set, but the vet was completely in another room on, on the laptop, not watching what was going on. <laughs> and I was saying, hang on a minute, they're supposed to be watching. <laughs> I, mean, I know. And we thought, hmm, there's a bit of a bit of an opening here. So we set up a sister company, um, me and Davinia, called Vet on Set. Mm-hmm. Um, so she does all the, um, the kind of telephones and and the invoicing and all the money side of it and um yeah I turn up at the set and, and again we've got um another we've got a bank of, of um, vets and veterinary nurses um, and what we do basically is we'll do a risk assessment and then we also follow the British Veterinary Association guidelines in animals in advertising so no extreme features make sure the dog is not overweight or underweight um the dog's emotional um um, um feel you know everything emotionally yeah. the dog's fine um because the production companies don't necessarily know they're not doggy we don't you know we wouldn't i don't know how to work a camera i wouldn't expect them to know how to how to treat a dog or know that that's too much for that dog so we're there really to step in um and we do a risk assessment and then we do a follow-up um with advisories as well so yeah so at the moment it's only necessary it's only needed in advertising um so unfortunately at the moment it's not for general Sort of filming, you know, TV yeah. programs like that. It's it's um anything that's advertising, so TV yeah. commercials, um, and um social media advertising. So like we did an advert for Honda a couple of weeks back, but um for social media. So um yeah, and it's picking up. It's picking up. Um, and I think yeah. it is so important that um we are realizing that adverts do affect people's choices and decisions, and the yeah. fact that you know you are mindful of not only dogs being the correct weight, because um, we've just done the episode with the Slim Pet Vet about um, how many dogs in the UK are overweight is just, yeah. and you know, the fact that I get told my dog's skinny all the time, and I'm like, it's not skinny, it's just fit, it's It's meant to look like this. Um, But also for the the Bracky breeds and stuff, trying to if they want to have a Frenchie or a pug it's picking one that has sort of better features and a longer muzzle rather than one that has no nostrils 
yeah exactly exactly um and and i think you know it does influence people um you know we've got social media influence influence now influences now and you know we can be part of that we can we can be the other end you know of saying you know just choose carefully we don't want to stop people from getting these breeds you know yes. well, we, we, you know um we shouldn't be doing that either but it's it's picking from reputable breeders and um um good 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 confirmation yeah definitely. i'm i'm very i'm very open in my fact of if you if rescue isn't right for you because it's not right for all people then make sure you are going to a good breeder that yeah. is health testing but it's yeah. also breeding for temperament and confirmation. It shouldn't just be, yeah. oh, it looks pretty. Because let's yeah. face it, the creature looks pretty, but yeah. the behavioural issues and the hip issues that come with this dog, yeah. he's not in breeding stocks. Do you know what I mean? I would never yeah. ever breed from him. Unfortunately, there are people that just see puppies and pound signs and yes. that's where it goes. So changing the way advertisers are using animals, because let's face it, animals sell. We know this. Yes. You know, making sure that they are picking sort of healthy dogs and making people realize that this is what the dog should look like. This is the ideal. It's going to be better yeah. than just grabbing any old dog off the street yes. and putting it yeah. in front of the camera. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, and it, and the BVA guidelines as well um, um, say that we're not to use any um, um, altered dogs. So again, that means cropped and, and docked and things like that. Yeah. Exactly. And, you know, I did the episode with Jordan Shelley where we spoke all about yeah. how the fact that cropping is illegal across the whole yeah. of Europe, people. Yeah. So it's, why do you want to cut a dog's ears off? Like, you're not big, you're not clever, stop mutilating animals, it's not a thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. My listeners know this is one of my other soapbox. <laughs> yeah. We've already hit two of my triggers, Rachel. Yeah, and, and that's it. You know, we we uh, as 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 two sister companies, so both Animal Direction and Vet on Set, we want to be seen to be following the the BVA guidelines, where other agencies might not be doing that. Um, it's obvious that some agencies are not doing that because we're still seeing these dogs on um, on um, birthday cards and and adverts and things like that. Yeah, so we want to we want to be um, seen to be following the BVA guidelines. Yeah. Yeah, exactly that. So when you're not on set and not in practice, um, you actually educate people on canine first aid, don't you? That's what you do. Yeah. You teach yeah. people about the first aid thing. And to any pet professional that is listening, whether you are a groomer, if you are a dog trainer, if you run daycare, you should have done a canine first aid course and you should be refreshing this every two, three years? Uh, two to three years, yeah. 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 If you're an owner, if you have a dog, please go on a canine first aid course because do you know what? When an emergency happens, having that little bit of training in the background really helps. Now, we've both been in situations where um, obviously you've been a vet nurse, definitely have been, mine and more so with when I was working in the equine industry rather than the canine, thankfully. But when an emergency happens and it's someone else's animal, it's easier to deal with than when it's your own baby because when it's your pet there is so much emotional investment it's easy to lose your head in yeah. an emergency so having that bit of training behind you to know exactly what to do where to apply pressure I mean I'm very fortunate my vets um, allow me to handle dodge and restrain dodge as needed for 
blood draws and stuff like that because yeah. it just means we don't need another person in the room to stress him out stress him yeah yeah you know I'm lucky that my dog trusts me to kind of hold him and my vet trusts me to hold the dog that's not always possible and when there are emergency situations it helps to have done first aid training but the other thing I'm always bleating on about is please muzzle train your dog yes <laughs> yes yeah. Yeah. I don't care how cute Fluffy is and how equal Fluffy is and how Fluffy hasn't got a bad bone in his body in an emergency if, Pl if Fluffy is hurting he has teeth and he will use yes. them he will bite them, yeah, he will bite and use them, yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, yeah, and, and going back to um, sort of getting some knowledge, I think everybody, I mean, we've got a, we've got an organisation, again, a little part of IPET Network, um, Safe um, safe Dogs and People, uh, Safe People and Dogs, um, it, it's it's trying to promote everybody, or mandatory for pet professionals to have canine first aid training, um, because I think there's sort of various things going on there's people that have maybe been in the industry a long long time a bit like myself but um then they might have done something 20 years ago and they say oh yeah and sometimes there's a bit of a i know it all type thing going mm -hmm. on yep. there's always yep. things to learn there's always things to refresh um yeah um the other thing is that a lot of people might just look at a, a quick sort of quiz type thing on the internet and then say they're um first aid qualified no they're not <laughs> right. um i mean pet owners uh, even if we can get to pet, pet owners to go to the the free ones that the pdsa do you know it's fab um it's great it's better than nothing you know um these are free the pdsa ones are free um you can go along to them but i think when you're getting into the next level when you get into pet professionals um I think it should be um, more thorough. Um, it should be um, more in depth, um, and it should be accountable as well. So a qualification, um, mm -hmm. or at least a, a very in depth course run by a veterinary professional, mm -hmm. because the the difference between the the quantity and the quality and the accuracy of the information being given is like chalk and cheese. All right. Um, I won't go into details, but I, but I get lots of feedback from people that have been to non-veterinary-led ones, and some are fine, but some are pretty scary, all right, um, about the information that's been imparted, um, because these people have never worked in a veterinary practice, um, and they've never been frontline, and they've never seen it, and they've never done it, um, which I say, you know, as I mentioned earlier, is if it's basic, but as long as it's it's accurate and correct then fine for pet owners but the the pet professionals should step up and and do a, a professional one um you know the the qualifications are available now um you know i'm a consultant with ipet network and we've got a, a, a rake of um qualifications now off call level threes and level fours um and i'm a consultant with the the, the first aid and any of the the welfare ones um so they are out there you know and it's fairly new yes it's fairly new um probably six months now um but you know it's it's it's, it's gathering speed um and even with the councils you know for boarding licenses and daycare licenses they're advising you know in the, 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 your um star system um that you need a level three quali qualification in in some kind of animal related course um and i think people um understandably get mixed up between what is a qualification because some courses might say off call um recognized um that's not a qualification 
of qual diploma that's not a qualification it has to say qualification is that there's a stark difference in, in the marking and right the, okay the yeah. yeah yeah and this is the thing isn't it because the whole industry um is a, it's an absolute minefield you know i'm an education provider i teach other trainers how to teach hoopers safely yeah. Yeah. but it's they come on the course and they become a hoopers world instructor but that doesn't mean that they've now got a college degree in yeah. hoopers they've yeah. been on a course they've been given good information and i'm all about safety and stuff but it's very difficult and i think that when when we're training other other trainers other pet professionals we need to make sure that the information we are giving is as up to date as possible. You know, yeah. even since I recorded the course originally three years ago for the online course, there some information has changed. And yeah. I've then had to go into my instructor group and go, guys, this is the new standard, you know, yeah. because it's international as well. Some countries now aren't using hoops with a base bar some are only using basis hoops in the uk some organizations use them some don't this is all stuff i need to know about to explain yeah. to my instructors so yeah. it means that we have to make sure we are giving good information but also we need to make sure we're putting good solid information out to the public as well yeah. as pet professionals and you know first aid stuff we're coming into summer now this episode will be end of may i believe because we are we're we're actually freezing cold and it's raining in the uk there's a surprise while we're recording but hopefully when you're listening to this it's a lovely sunny day and we have that week of summer it's like this all of a sudden people forget that their dogs have been frozen for the last 11 months of the year and it's boiling hot and they decide to walk their dog down the pavement at 12 o'clock in the day and you're like oh yeah <laughs> but we need to put out good information and yeah. as yeah. pet professionals if we can do a first aid course that has the correct information and is up to date then we know we're going to be passing the correct yeah. information yeah. on to our clients yeah. and that's right you know I, I mean occasionally i get um i get you know messages or emails from lay people um wanting to to teach canine first aid and they say oh can you teach me how to teach canine first aid and i said i can't really because my course is based on 27 years of experience as a veterinary nurse um, and you know I'm very passionate about being a veterinary nurse and um, I will I will really and I'm, I'm very you know plain with them um, but polite obviously is that I'm sorry but I only support vet and vets and veterinary nurses as yeah. because of the level that I teach it's got to be that level um, and some are a bit disappointed some understand um, very occasionally I get the get over yourself type of attitude um but I'm sorry but um, my veterinary degree is my um my USP and I'm going to use it <laughs> you know um why should why should why should I hide it and why should I reduce the importance of it um we're very important in veterinary practice therefore um my role as a veterinary nurse is very important and and um uh, I'm passionate about it yeah oh my god massively you know and and the thing is it, it is a badge of honor and you should be wearing it with pride and showing yeah. the world look i worked hard to get this qualification i've yeah. got it and this is why my course is different because i have these qualifications 
but also I have this experience and that's the thing isn't it it's when and I think again this this is a whole debate in the pet industry you know of our qualifications better or is experience better I think they are both equally important you know I mean I've I assess for the IMDT and I've met some absolutely cracking trainers coming through their assessments where I'm like oh you're going to be one to watch like you can tell every like you know and some of them don't make the grade the first time but that's okay because that's why you're being assessed and you are being accountable for your knowledge and your understanding you know it's why with my online course um we have a written you know there's questions at the end of it so they watch the videos but then there are questions at the end it's not just watch the course and you're done I need to know that they've taken in the information and yeah. understand the safety behind what they're going to be teaching. Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, so yeah, so that, I mean, that's that's how it is going forward. Um, I mean, I've done an online course as well. And I kind of did that during COVID, really. Because yes. there is there is going to be people that, particularly pet owners, that maybe don't want to attend a course um, for whatever reason, mm-hmm. um, and also it can target people um, overseas as well. So again, the the online course is still very different from the other courses because um, it's it's I mean it's self paced. You can just drop in and do it whenever you want and come back to it. Um, but um, there's loads of real footage on there. Um, nothing madly gory, but um, it's real. Everything is real photographs, real videos that yeah. I've had from work or people have donated for the course. Um, and there's over 200 multiple choice questions after you know um, dotted around after each after each lecture. Um, so it's, you know, and you can only move on to the next lecture. You can't just click all the way through and get the receipt, uh, the certificate at the end. You've, you've got to work and read it and, yes. and each multiple choice. So in my own online one is um is slightly different than the norm yeah um and yeah you know um when you're talking about experience i mean that's why uh, sort of six years ago um i pushed myself and started volunteering abroad um volunteering in, in asia um mostly thailand um but india as well because the amount of stuff that we see there vet you know vet wise um veterinary medicine wise is just completely different to to the uk we just see things and deal with things that we just do not see in the uk um and it's very emotional it's very traumatic um yeah. so it's just pushing pushing that that experience and, and my boundaries uh, as well and from a behavior point of view just just working with the with the street dogs is, is different yeah yeah so yeah so let's let's dive into that because there's got to be some like magical stories that like people will be like oh my god amazing I mean obviously if if there is a bit of a sad one just give us a warning so if people want to skip they can skip but let's go Thailand first because I don't know much about kind of dogs in Thailand I don't know much about the country it's kind of one of those places that I'm sure is beautiful and wonderful but there's also sides of it where there's maybe not the resources and the knowledge yeah Yeah. that we have over here yeah, I, I kind of have a love-hate with it <laughs> because it is beautiful. The mm-hmm. food's amazing, the people yes. are amazing. It's cheap when you're there. You can be near the beach, you know, it is, yeah. But, but yeah, the other side of it, from the animal welfare side, um, obviously there's, there's the, the problems with the animal tourism. So you've got the elephants, um, which are usually um, sort of captured as, as babies from sort of either northern Thailand or Burma and brought over, over, the, over the border and then um, sort of 
used as, as um, working animals. Um, so, you know, elephant riding, elephant shows, um, just having them in the street, begging for money, that kind of thing. So there's that side and the, obviously the tiger temples, which is another story. Um, but as far as the dogs are concerned, um, is that, um, yeah, there's lots of street dogs. Uh, in the remote areas, um, there is problems, you know, with, with um, welfare. Um, but if you get in the more built-up areas, um, such as Paquette and, and places like that, then there is there is um, quite a lot of rescues. You know, there's a Soy Dog Foundation, there's lots of small independent rescues which are trying their best. Um, so the main the main thing is is nutrient clinics, is population control. So yeah. um, so where you know where in this country we might you know I'm very passionate about um, uh, sort of later nutrient rather than early nutrient. Um, but when you're over there, it's get the nutrient. <laughs> you know we're we're doing nutrient clinics like six seven week old puppies. You know litters of puppies nutrient them because it's different because um, there's a population issue and and that's the only way to deal with it is, is education and and nutrient, which initially was quite difficult because it's a Buddhist country. So the Buddhists are not. Um, I mean I'm not I'm not I haven't got a massive knowledge about uh, Buddhism so you know if, if I'm saying anything wrong then I apologize but um, um, yeah they, they particularly don't like the nutrient side of it especially with the males um, and especially if the dogs there's a lot of Buddhist temples which is one on every street corner nearly in, in Thailand they're, they're amazing um, the monks are there and they look after the dogs um, um, mostly <laughs> um, again we've got to be careful um, but um, yeah they're, they're not massively keen on having the male dogs neutered the male dogs that live within the, the grounds of the temple because of the reincarnation um, they do say um, uh, okay. the, male dogs, the male dogs in the temple are actually reincarnated monks so um. I mean, so I'm I'm sure there's there's a question of celibacy and what difference does it make if the dog yeah. is nuts or not, but that's coming from yeah. a very Western viewpoint. Yeah. And that must be difficult when you've got kind of beliefs and tradition against kind of welfare and what yeah. we know happens. It's a very yeah. difficult thing to balance, isn't difficult. it? Yeah, and, uh, and euthanasia is a very difficult thing as well because the Bud in Buddhist um, religion is that you have no right to take some, somebody's life or an animal's life wow so, okay so it's very difficult as well yeah yeah no that that must be tough so being out there i mean i've i've <laughs> so i've now got this image of like these dogs just in like buddhist monk robes like <laughs> because they're like well that was one of our guys that was whoever it was he's come back as this dog no we can't take yeah, his nuts yeah. off yeah, um yeah yeah and obviously, you know, we, you touched briefly on kind of the the elephant and the tiger side of things. You know, guys, if you are going to any countries, it you do need to be careful about the welfare of the animals in the shows. Um, there's a, a big cat rescue that I visit um, when I'm over in the States. They work a lot with um, kind of the FBI and stuff where they do raids and all of a sudden... <laughs> So, yeah, sorry, guys, postman. There's always a blooming postman when we do a recording. It's just, yeah, I'm sorry. Um, so, yeah, where we go in America, they work a lot with, like, the FBI and stuff where they'll go in to do a raid and all of a sudden someone's got, like, a pet serval. Right, yeah. public service announcement. Servals do not make good house pets. Yeah. Here yeah. we go. Don't get them as a house pet. It's not a thing. Um, but... Uh, obviously you know over the pandemic people all watched tiger king and oh my yeah. god what was that 
<laughs> I think it has maybe made people more aware that, you know, we see these street performers or these attractions. You know, I've been guilty of it myself going on holiday and swimming with dolphins. Like, and the more I know now, I'm like, oh man, I feel really yeah, bad yeah. now. Like, yeah, yeah. But yeah. until you know and you understand the, well, yeah. Yeah. the ethics behind it, you know, I mean, for God's sake, as a kid, one of my favorite places to go when we went to America was SeaWorld. Now I would not be seen dead in that place yeah, until exactly. they until they get rid of the orcas and there are no yeah. more orcas in SeaWorld. Yeah. I make the choice that I will not go to yeah. that facility. Yeah. But we do need to educate people on this. Yeah, education, yeah. Uh, I mean, there's, there's, there is quite a lot in the, in the country. But the problem is that it's so intrinsic with the, the Thai culture mm -hmm. and, and the government. The government support it. The government, especially with the, 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 um, the um, elephant shows, is that the government earn from that as well. And they take oh. a cut. So... Um, you know it's, it's not going to change is it it's not going to change yeah yeah um it's very, so it's very guys if you are going abroad and you do see something and if you get that little gut feeling of it's probably not right then do you know what it's probably yeah. not right you know, you're, probably, you're probably better spending your time going and and visiting um the dog shelters and the the gibbon rehab places and the elephant rehab places um, even with that, you've got with it, you've got to be careful. Um, do some research first because um, some of the elephant places say they're rehab places or they're um, sanctuaries, and they're actually not. They're just mm -hmm. disguised. But basically, a good elephant sanctuary will not you uh, not allow you to touch the elephants. It will not allow you to wash them, and they will not obviously not allow you to ride them. It's just going to see them being around them. I mean, there's two, and one in particular in Phuket that's really good, um, and that's owned by a friend of mine, um, and that is a genuine... Um, give it a plug, give it a plug. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's a Phuket elephant sanctuary is one, and the other one is Treetops. So my friend's is called Treetops, um, Treetops Elephant Sanctuary in, in um, Phuket. So these are all, um, um, there's a couple of retired working elephants, and the other ones that she's actually bought from um from the working environment yeah and they now can roam free and um you can walk amongst them yeah amazing, and, yeah, amazing. Them, yeah and and give you lunch and you can just sit and watch elephants bath. Oh, yeah see that yeah. sounds like a lovely day just yeah, kind of sit really have good. a little snacky snack watch some elephants job yeah. done that yeah. Sounds like yeah yeah so we're going back to the dogs what are your kind of observations with there being street dogs compared to what we see in the UK and listeners in America? You know, we don't have street dogs. It's it's not a thing, no, you know. No. I mean, I mean, in India and Thailand, I mean, a lot of them have been diluted a little bit. I mean, it's quite rare to find a true, true um sort of breed that, that was originally from from Asia um to uh, yeah I mean the, the names are quite complicated they're all in Thai I can't remember them but um, um you've got one that's called the Bangkok which is um quite typical um and it looks very cute it's quite fluffy mm -hmm. um it looks like a collie how do you describe it like a collie cross spits maybe but they're very territorial, they're aggressive, um, and yeah, not, not great to handle. Um, but um, yeah, a lot, a lot of the domestic dogs have 
have reproduced with the street dogs so you get these mixed breeds now yeah. but basically they're still um you can't say feral because they're not truly feral uh, semi-feral um so some of them some of them i mean i've been down to the beach the best time to go down is at dawn you go down and you can sit and the dogs will come up to you and sit on your knee and you just let the dog decide uh, it's when when people get bitten it's when they they're not reading the dog and the dog doesn't want to be touched so you would never go over and touch a street dog that's just laid resting um if it if it shows signs of coming towards you and wants um some attention then fine you know um, but even then you've got to be you've got to be pretty good with body guys quick public service announcement here yeah. first of all if the dog's just chilling and resting and it's not your dog and you don't know it don't go and touch it here's a thought yeah. um yeah don't if you don't know a dog and it doesn't have an owner with it a person with it a guardian with it a carer whatever pet parent term you want to use if there is just a random dog on a street when you're abroad yeah. going over and trying to stroke it or worse still give it a cuddle is not a thing okay yeah. just yeah. hang out if it wants to come and sit with you that's cool you can attempt the three second rule where you stroke it for three seconds and then stop if it buggers off leave it alone if it stays with you cool it wants to hang out but this is where people get this whole disney oh it's a puppy oh it's a dog i want to stroke it no we don't have to touch dogs you don't have to yeah yeah uh, yeah, and you know it's and it's it's quite interesting as well seeing the dogs on the beach. You can see the um, sort of um, dynamics where they've got different territories. You know, you can just about draw a line <laughs> where if one dog crosses it, the other dog will come flying over, and there's a bit of a ruckus, and it's a definite line. You know, I've got some video footage of it. Amazing. Dogs can and are territorial. You know. Yeah, I've seen it. I've seen it in India. I've seen it in the streets in India. I had to save um, a guy and his pet dog. He'd come out of a dog. I didn't see him which dog he came out of, but he jumped like this Labrador Retriever type dog on, on his scooter. And about five street dogs came after him and was like biting this dog that was on the, on the scooter. Um, oh, no. Killed it. Yeah, because it was territorial. This dog was in their territory. Um, oh. And I, I just went screaming, like shouting, because that often works. If you just run at them and shout as loud as you can, they often scatter. So yeah. I did that. I went, get out, like that. My other half like, stood going, <laughs> and I said, just drive, 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 drive. And he got out there. Yeah, and the dogs chased him, but at least he saved the dog. Oh, uh, yeah, um, no, horrendous. Yeah, because if he just stopped, like they would have literally, yeah, that oh, dog yeah, would have yeah. been not yeah. on this coil anymore. Oh. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So if um and to be honest, I mean generally if a dog is like running at you and chatting, standing still is generally a good thing, or as you say, making yourself big and loud generally stops it. Yeah, hey I mean, guys, like don't go running up to random dogs shouting at them. We are talking about street dogs that are semi-feral. This is not talking about UK dogs in the park that don't worry, it's friendly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> And and I've got lots of experience with, with street dogs as well. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so with I mean, was India kind of the same as Thailand or yes, obviously, yeah. I mean the religions are slightly different again. I'm not I'm not au fait with exactly, um, but um you've um because in Thailand you've got about, I think the, the ratio is about 60-70% Buddhist and the rest are Muslim. So you do have problems with the Muslim um, 
um, religion because they don't particularly like dogs, so that that's an issue. Um, but in in India, they're more seen as they're not they don't like them being labelled as street dogs. They call them village dogs or community dogs. Right. Um, okay. So it's different. Yeah. Yeah. But they still have the welfare issues. You still have the road traffic accidents. You know, um, um, the volume of road tra traffic accidents, and yeah, just the lack of um, um, infrastructure for for veterinary medicine, really. But I mean, they don't have a good infrastructure in the remote areas for human medicine. You know, so. Um, it's understandable that they don't have it for animals either yeah 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 no that makes sense um and also am i right in thinking that you've done some is it greece or cyprus you've done some work? Uh, cyprus, yeah yeah okay yeah just just before lockdown um yeah went to cyprus for 10 days and that's scheduled again for this year actually in october oh, like so that's, a dog, that's a dog trainer um in um maria in uh, in cyprus she puts a do on for for three or four days where dog trainers or uh, dog professionals can go over we just spend three or four days and she takes us around all the different shelters and then we can critique the shelters and we can get hands on the dogs and and but i usually stay a little bit longer and then do a first aid course out there and, and things like that yeah yeah because yeah. they've they had sort of quite a um a feral dog or a a street dog population problem yeah. and the spade new to release kind of program yeah. has really helped over there hasn't it and yeah. the same with the cats as well yeah yeah and they have slightly different breeds you know they have a lot of domestic type breeds ended up in rescue so the big you know the big the bigger breeds you know um mastiffs and and um working dogs you know the the um hounds and hound crosses and things like that's a big problem where that's not the issue in generally not in 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 asia it's more um the traditional thai dogs um and indian dogs um um called indies um but yeah yeah but it, i do find it so interesting though that depending on kind of what the the demographic of people is it is an, in an area how the type of dog changes well I mean even in the UK you know you can go to different areas you know friends that are groomers when I worked at a groomers um in Bushy which is sort of North London Hertfordshire area um we saw a lot of Bichons a lot of Tibetan Terriers um yeah. like just the cockapoos were just starting to come in but it was mainly kind of Bichons Tibetan Terriers um Spaniels Cavaliers kind of what I'd sort of say like you kind of your maybe your fancier pet dogs yeah. whereas when I moved to where I am in Surrey now it was like I moved into gun dog territory and I was like yeah. oh okay so there are a lot of gun dogs around this area yeah. um I mean now obviously there's lots of oodle mixes and stuff like that but I find it so interesting that Dif even different areas you find certain breeds are a lot more kind of popular yeah and fashionable. that's it yeah because if you want if you want a good bedlington terrier go to the northeast yeah. <laughs> that's where the best gene pools are um because obviously bedlington's in the north in the northeast that's yeah. where bedlington terriers come from so yeah that's where that's where that's where you get a good bedlington from <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah exactly yeah. and like you know like if you want kind of a like collies scotland i hear lots of good things yeah. about scottish collies as well as yeah the welsh ones you know it's i just find it so interesting that different parts of the world um especially when you like you look at kind of the street dogs even when we look at like the romanian dogs compared to as you say like the cypriot dogs compared yeah. to the thai dogs compared to the indian dogs yeah. they're all very different yeah yeah and i have a particular passion for, for the asian dogs because they are different yeah they are different um a lot gentler i think um 
in most cases. Can't say that 100%, but, and vice versa, yeah. Um, but yeah, and I've seen dogs, um, so I've been to Peru and places like that. Um, so like South American dogs are different again, you know. Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. Lots, of, lots of big ears and hairlessness. <laughs> yes, yes, there was, there was a big hairless dog in, in one of the markets in Cusco in Peru, and uh, it was friendly. And my other half said, don't touch it, don't touch it. There's something wrong with it. I said, no, it's meant to be like that. Yeah. yeah oh, no, that, that's <laughs> probably actually like a pedigree dog that is yeah. meant to be exactly like that. Um, oh, my God, hilarious. Oh, bless him, don't touch it. It's got no hair. No, babe, it's meant to look like that. That's yeah, yeah. how they are. They yeah. breathe them without hair over here. It saves on, the, it saves on grooming. It's much easier. Yeah. Yeah, but I think that I think there's a grimmer reason why why they're hairless, but uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, um, I in season yeah it was season two. Um, I did an episode with um Sarah um now Sarah Fenby who um runs UK Hoopers. She's got uh Shona Cooties, so we yeah. did a whole thing about how the big ones were for guarding and the little ones unfortunately were for eating and. Yes. Like, yeah. I was like, don't add that into the story. I don't like that yeah. bit. Of the story. Yeah. I always horrify the nurses at work with, you know, chow chows. Um, do you know where that came from? Do you know what chow chow means? No. I said, eat, eat in Chinese. Oh, oh no. What? <laughs> no. Oh my God. Okay. Right. I feel that we should have put a warning. But unfortunately, in some countries, you know, dogs are a meat source, you know, which in in the uk and in america and stuff you know in not all of europe but you know for us like oh dog meat like it sounds like the most horrendous thing but to, i mean personally i don't eat meat anyway because i don't like abattoirs and that is my choice but how you know then there's that argument of how is a pig any different to a dog and actually i've trained both and i would argue that pigs are just as easy if not easier to train than yeah, the yeah yeah definitely yeah so, so yeah. let's go back to first aid to your specialist yeah. subject um we are so as i said it's going to be may um let's talk heat stroke first of all because i think this is yeah. one thing that people really need educating on um i am very mindful of working my dog you know there are sometimes we are at competitions and all of a sudden we've got a spike in the heat and it's like oh my god what do we do you know do we try and postpone the classes I mean obviously we put things in place like the cues are made shorter so the dogs aren't standing around in the sun you know we have cooling coats for yeah. them um we make sure there's paddling pools and water and all this stuff yeah why do people walk their dogs in the middle of the day in the summer well I think it's one of those things with a lot of things isn't it is that um it'll not happen to me um, my dog's not going to have heat stroke. I did this last year and the year before, and the dog didn't die of heat stroke. Um, so it's just, yeah, uh, I think it's one of those, his head in the sand, and uh, it'll not happen to me. But people do get caught out, you know. Um, yes, the um, breeds that are more um, um, prone to it are going to be the brachycephalic breeds. Several reasons for that. Um, let's, I don't know, let's pick a breed. And the pug, um, I mean, not always, but sometimes they're overweight. So that means they've got a larger 
um, surface area that they cannot sweat from. They can't sweat from the feet efficiently. So the only way to sweat then is through panting um, to dissipate heat. So they're not efficient panters. You know, their, their faces are flat, their faces are wide, their tongues are not as long as they should be. Um, so they haven't got the surface area when they're panting that can um, help with oxygen uh, intake and cooling and oxygen exchange with CO2. So what happens is that the oxygen levels drop and then the dog really starts to struggle. Um, and then they go into hypoxia into a hypoxic state which is lack of oxygen the brain gets a little bit confused about that and then they get to the febrile state which is the um, seizuring state once they get to that then um it's it's curtains unfortunately they'll not recover from that mm -hmm. so um i think um when you see a normal dog panting its tongue comes way out it's lolling all over the place but it also it's it goes like a spoon shape at the end so it's actually increasing surface area that mm -hmm. it can eat and these breeds can't really do that efficiently um the other thing that's happened as well through breeding is and the really short ones um normal dogs um, nasal passages have got turbinates in and those turbinates when the, when the air is drawn in um, when they're breathing in it goes through the turbinates and it cools the air down and vice versa if, it, if it's cold it warms the air up so with these breeds we've actually removed the turbinates because we've shortened the muzzle so there's no oh, wow so they're literally breathing in hot air yeah yeah okay. yeah yeah and and then what happens is um the, their throats close um and they go blue their throats close asphyxiate and then they die yeah so um you know and, and people can be caught out i mean we had a really bad case um in the summer that shorts what was it july or august last year we had just a couple of weeks where it was really hot oh my god um, literally it was like these two week tropical yeah, like craziness yeah. where it was like what what do we do with this this is yeah yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was that one. And this dog was, and it's just a case of the owner being caught out. The, the owner didn't do anything um, drastic. The dog was just playing in the garden with three other dogs, I think, a Frenchie. Um, and it got into a state and she, she, you know, she came flying into the car park. This dog was blue at the time, um, panting as hard as it can, but his throat was closed. Um, and, you know, it took us about two hours to get the dog back to where it was um, a normal breathing rate. And it, the dog was very, very lucky to survive because you get to a point where there's only so much you can do you know uh -huh. um the dog's still conscious so we can't put an et tube down to to get an airway you can't knock it out because that's dangerous um you know you've got to a point where you, you get you do get an, a catheter in and use adrenaline um which will slow heart rates down and to try and get the oxygen in um, and circulating properly um but yeah you just that critical time where you just you've thrown everything at the stone you're just watching it is it going to die or is it not? And luckily with this one, it just turned the corner and it was fine. Um, and then, you know, the, the fallout from that is, I'm in a small practice, so it was just one vet. So she was just about to start consulting um, and this dog came in. So, you know, we had to concentrate on this dog and then wow. everybody queuing up outside, you know, moaning and complaining. And saying, yeah, and you're like, we're, we're actually trying to save yeah, your life. Yeah. If that was your dog that's exactly what i said but so let's just go on a branch here guys remember yeah. if you are ever at the vet and they're running bloody late it's probably because they've had an emergency and do you know what one day that could be your animal that is yeah. the emergency and just be a bit mindful and be nice and be bloody kind to your vets and their nurses because they have a hard time of it don't be poo heads yeah anyway <laughs> carry on <laughs> Yeah, thank you. Uh, yeah, so I mean, there was, yeah, I, I mean, I, I had um, clients waiting as well because the nurses do the clinics and the checkups. Yeah. 
second vaccines and that kind of thing. And I had a puppy waiting for second vaccine. Apparently she was one of the ones that was mourning. Um, so I got permission from the practice manager. I said, when I go out and get this puppy, because this dog was safe now. And so a couple of staff were relieved to go and, to go and do their, their uh, uh, jobs. Mm-hmm. And she says, yeah, just, just say something to her. So when I went out, I said, um, I'm really sorry you, you, you having to wait. She said, it's all right, it's all right. I said, but you see that lady over there in that van who's sobbing? We've just saved her dog's life. And her face just dropped. She said, oh, I'm really sorry. I said, mm. we'll vaccinate your puppy now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it was like, like tumbleweed, you know? <laughs> yeah. But the thing is, though, you know, and we're all so busy and we get wrapped up. Everything else we've got to do, sometimes it's hard to forget that when you are going into the vets, there can be, like, emergencies and stuff. You know, I mean, for me, we try and book appointments that are when it's as quiet as possible just to reduce the stress levels with the creature and everything. But... It, it's not always easy and sometimes like you know coming out there was a reception full of dogs and literally the vet just stood and I just quickly shortened my yeah. lead and just marched out door as quick yeah, as I could and get past yeah. everyone and oh yeah, yeah. um yeah. you know and but these things happen going back to the heat stroke thing let's talk yeah. about what the kind of the symptoms are because again dogs will acclimatize to the weather so when it's been the summer and we've had three, four weeks where it's been between 18 and 25 degrees C. Um, I have yeah. no idea what that is in Fahrenheit because those numbers make no sense in the world. Um, <laughs> they don't. It's just weird science. I'm sorry it is. Um, the dogs have kind of got acclimatized to those temperatures. It's when, like that week you were talking about, it had been about 20, 22 degrees. It was quite a nice yeah. summer and all of a sudden it hit 35 yeah yeah that is when it's dangerous because the dogs are not acclimatized to it you know and this is when even the fittest healthiest dogs could get in trouble there were a lot of posts i saw on facebook people bought um people know that listen regularly i freaking hate bull truckers anyway but bull (laughs) trucking for your dog when it is hot you yeah. you are basically going to kill your dog like it's- and, and and jogging as well and biking with the dogs so- i'm not even running when it's hot so you sure as fuck shouldn't be doing it with your dog like yeah 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 and it's that and it happens so quickly and the problem is even if you take the dog out of the heat and it's showing the first signs of heat stroke the heat stroke will carry on he'll not stop as soon as you get it into into the cool house it carries on and it, it's distressing. It's distressing for the dog, obviously. Um, it's distressing for everybody around it. Um, so it's all about, um, um, you know, being sensible. The dog does not have to go out in, for a walk or play in the sun at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, dog walkers as well are one that are under pressure by owners. Well, I'm paying you to take the dog for a walk. You must take it for a walk. You get owners like that. And I say to dog walkers, I said, if you've got clients like that, drop them. You do not need clients like that um, uh, that are going to force you and guilt trip you into taking the dog, your edgy out in the sun. There's no harm in just sitting at home, playing with it, possibly in the garden if there's some you know, paddling pool or whatever, and play with it in the house, you know, doing some scent work. Doing I some, mean, uh, many moons ago when I started, because I started off dog walking, um, I bought this gorgeous little cavalier, Charlie, who very dear to my heart was little Charlie Bear really hot days we used to drive to the woods and we used to wander into the shadiest bit of the woods yeah we'd have a sniff and a pee we'd sit down in the trees for 20 minutes and then yeah. we'd go home again 
Yeah. That was, he got out of the house because his owners did work really long hours. So he did yeah. need to go out. He did need to be toileted. Yeah. But it yeah. was taking him somewhere that was appropriate yeah, and safe. It's, it's just as enriching, you know. Yeah, you know, yeah. because their garden was literally self-facing. So it was full heat, full sun. Yeah. It was safer for him to us to go for a little drive, find somewhere shady. You know, if you are a dog walker, guys, and it is hot, prep your owners. You know, yes, if you need to pop in, let the dogs out for a week or drive somewhere cool. If there's a water source, brilliant. Don't go walking them across a big hot field and letting them run around together. That's not yeah. safe for anyone. Yeah. yeah. And the main instructions, if you, if you think your dog is getting a little bit too hot. So, yeah, obviously, um, initially, is don't put the dog in that situation in the first place. Mm -hmm. uh, if you do get caught out is, um, yeah, try and get the dog cooled down. If you're near water, then certainly let just walk the dog in the water. Don't cold plunge them. So don't put them in a horse trough or, um, you know, a deep pool or anything like that. Just just walk them so the feet are in and yeah. then just splash water on them. Maybe get a towel if you're at home, get a towel, wet it with cold water, get the dog to lie on it. And try not to drape the towel over because that can actually trap heat. Um, um, but just maybe with the jug is just um, sort of drizzle um, cold water, not freezing cold water, just cool water over the dog. Um, maybe put a wet towel around around the head like that. Um, and, and then if you're really worried, then off to the vets because you will need medical, you, need, you will need um, veterinary intervention. Mm -hmm. we, we will need to use oxygen. We will need to use adrenaline um, if it's a serious case. Yeah. Yeah. So here we go. Question. Ice cubes frozen yeah. treats is it safe for your dog to have ice cubes and frozen treats when it's a lovely hot sunny day in the garden yes i think the where the confusion came from was um you are not to do that if the dog is in a hypothermic state so if so for example right we've we've been to a competition it's a warm day dodger's just done his run i make sure he drinks tepid water i don't want him gulping ice cold no. water when no. he's just done a run i don't want him no. drinking ice cold water when he's just done a run anyway yes but i think the confusion came wasn't it the people were giving their dogs ice water when the dog was already hot already starting to yeah. heat stroke yeah. and it was cooling them too quickly yes and then the brain the brain doesn't cope with that and it gets confused and they're more likely to push it into into um, the febrile which is the fitting stage yeah okay the brain's going what's going on i can't control this and to be honest, on a really hot day i don't actually like drinking really really cold drinks mm. i prefer drinking like a cool drink rather than an ice cold drink when it's boiling yeah. hot because i feel that it's probably a similar thing my body's like hang on but i'm hot but now there's freezing yeah. cold coming into me what's going on Yes, yeah. So, and it's the same with the opposite as well with hypothermia. So, if a dog's violently shivering, um, you have to bring the temperature up gradually, and you would not whack the heating up. You do not heat them up quickly. So, it's yeah. the same the other way as well. Yeah. 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 So, let's go to the other extreme then. So, if it's in the winter, I mean, here we go. Confession of a dog trainer. Um, there's been times where I've thought four dogs have come back in from the garden, and 15 minutes later I've heard a little noise at the back door and there's been a dog left outside and I'm like oh my god and they've come in and their feet are freezing and they're cold and I'm like oh my god I'm sorry wrap a little towel around them give them a cuddle yeah. is that okay to do or should I just yeah, leave yeah. and like just no, they're disdainfully hating me for being an awful <laughs> horrendous owner <laughs> 
Yeah, I mean, first of all, if they're wet, you need to take the excess water off. So you could towel them off, towel them off, yeah. and then just wrap them. Yeah, and just, or, or if they're tiny, if they're teeny tiny, um, you can always get them uh, in your body, use your own body heat. Um, but if it's bigger, just put a towel, get all the excess off, um, and then just wrap and they'll, they'll warm up. Because that's more of a mild hypothermia. It's when you get into your, your medium um, and your serious hypothermia, so you've got to, yeah, it would need veterinary, veterinary intervention because we often use fluid therapy. Yeah, so it's intravenous fluid. So with you saying earlier about like horse troughs, that was a really good example. My terrier used to love jumping in a horse trough and I'd be yeah. like, Tizer, can you not? Because also he had a heart murmur and I was like, dude, I'm sure this is not good for your system. Yeah, I think, I think in a trough. Yeah, because my labs jump in the horse troughs, but they're not in a hypothermic state. Right, uh, okay. They're running around and they want to cool off, but they're self-cooling, but they're not in a hypothermic state. Yeah. Right, okay. Yeah, yeah. So for the other extreme men, especially in the winter in the UK, it is wet and muddy. I mean, let's face it, it's wet and muddy most of the year. Yeah. But we have a few months where it's hard ground and less mud, and then we go back to wet and muddy again. Um, if you've been, um, say... And I've had it with Munchkin before. We were in the woods. They were paddling in the stream. And all of a sudden, there was a deep bit. And she literally disappeared for a second or so. Yeah. Came back up. Yeah. She was wearing an equa fleece, bless her. And I quickly yeah. pulled the equa fleece off uh, of her. Yeah. 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 Rung that out as best I could. And then yeah. kind of kept her walking and moving. But there was that yeah. moment of, oh, my God, have I just broken my dog? Because she basically kind of fell in in yeah. deep cold yeah. water. It happens. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Again, it, the same thing. You would just get all the excess water off, uh, maybe with the equifleece if you wring it out and then and then um, maybe take um, an item of your clothing off, you know, a hoodie or whatever and get it wrapped up. And then. Yeah. 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 OK, yeah. so these, these things happen. So if it's kind of extreme heat, I mean, there there are loads of charts out there, guys. And the thing is, what is an appropriate temperature for my 14 year old chihuahua is going to be different to an appropriate temperature for yes. a two-year-old german shepherd yes, you know, breed does come into it so definitely. does age um my kind of general rule when i'm training when i'm teaching in the summer if it's over 25 i tend to cancel class till it's a bit cooler that's yeah. when we've had a bit of summer the first week it suddenly shoots up to 25 degrees i'm like guys we either can't train today or we need to do stuff in the shade if yeah. i'm meant to be doing hoopers i'll cancel that class because i don't want the dogs running around in that heat because they haven't acclimatized to it yet yeah 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 and that's that's what we have to do you know um they're, they're not gonna they're not gonna die from missing a week are they you know or two weeks even um you can come back to it yeah and definitely. this is the thing isn't it no dog ever died from not going for a walk yeah. And I think this is one of the biggest things to remember, you know, like you, cha you change your routine, you either walk them really early in the morning. I actually think early morning walking is better than later in the day because later in the day it can still be blooming hot and muggy just because the sun's gone away. It doesn't yeah. mean it's not still hot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um... Yeah, because um, I always thought uh, when, when I went to Asia, I was, oh, I'm going to see lots of dogs with heat stroke. And actually, you don't, because the dogs, know they just disappear. You don't hardly see them during the day when it's hot. They're all, they're all either underneath cars or they've got into buildings or, you know, shady corridors in between buildings or hiding somewhere. So the best time to see them is actually dusk and dawn. <laughs> yeah. Because yeah. they're out then, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah no, that makes sense. But again, they... 
they're acclimatized to it you know they they know what to do exactly that they understand it and they have the they have the choice to lay in the sunshine i mean one of mine she's she's a little madam she will literally lay in the sun and i'm like right you need to come in now and she'll be out there panting her ass off but she loves laying in the sun so i'll let her lay in the sun for sort of 10 15 minutes so and then when she really starts panting i'm like no indoors now that's enough because yeah Yeah. you have to be the responsible adults you know i mean don't get me wrong i'd love to be out there with her let's just sunbathe together but you've got to be responsible now paddling pools stuff like that hoses my dogs love a paddling pole um we've i did buy dodge one of those things that he pushed his paw on and it sprayed water and that was disastrous and we're never having one of those things again um especially when he tried to bring it in the house that was definitely not appropriate (laughs) he was like can is this an indoor toy mommy i was like no 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 spraying the hose in the house is definitely not a thing yeah but some dogs and i don't know if this is more of a beach thing as opposed to kind of in in the garden and playing with the hose but we do have to be careful of dogs drowning yes yeah so you've got you've got you've got two things going on actually you can get what yeah you can get drowning so you know if you if you're leaving a dog outside with with a paddling pool and you come in to make a brew or got a toilet or whatever or grab a quick shower and you come down the dog can be drowned yeah definitely um especially if it's a little dog mm-hmm. um the other one is um, what we call dry drowning, which is where we get water into the lungs, either by the dog carrying toys around that might absorb the water, such as tennis balls and things like that, or drinking too much water or getting the head under the water, you know, apple bobbing, that kind of thing, which I've seen people do with dogs. Mm-hmm. Um, and the horse pipe thing is spraying the dogs with the horse pipe and they're catching the, the, yeah. the horse pipe. Um, if, if you get water in the lungs, um, then it might not be apparent straight away, but maybe within sort of 24, 48 hours, dogs are coughing um, and then it turns to pneumonia and that's um, called dry drowning. And it's the same, that's why hydrotherapists are trained uh, in a way that um, when they're treating the dogs in the pool, that the, the, they're not taking water into their lungs. Um, um, yeah, uh, dry drowning. And it happens with people as well, yeah. Because um, this is something that I think, because obviously the summer comes as well and people want to go to the beaches with the dogs and the dogs are having yeah. a lovely time in the sea and they're throwing the toys into the sea for the dogs. Yeah. Yeah. And then yeah. the next day they come home and the dog's seriously yeah. ill, if not worse. And it's like, yeah. well, what happened? Yeah. So there's What's a, your advice yeah. on that? Yeah, there's a few things that can happen there as well. If, if they're taking on too much water, it can dilute um, the blood salts and sugars and they can um, pass out, go unconscious, but even quicker with salt water. So when you see, you know, dogs chasing around in the, in the sea, in the seawater, catching balls and things like that, or snapping at the waves, they're taking in seawater and they're more likely to, to collapse um, unconscious because of the salt uh, ends up in the bloodstream um, and it changes the, the dog's blood sugar levels. Yeah. Um, and the other one, um, which is quite, um, uh, people don't realise as well, if they're carrying tennis balls on the beach and the tennis ball gets covered in sand and they're doing that for any length of time, they can then um, swallow the sand and you get a sand impaction. Um, and I've seen, we saw, I've definitely seen two in the last couple of years, um, sand impaction. So the intestines are full of sand um, and obviously that damages the intestines. So uh, that's that's pretty serious. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, and guys, we don't want to be like, don't take your dog anywhere, don't have fun with your dog, yeah, like, that's yeah. not it. but it's about being aware and being safe because 
The thing is, if you have been to the beach, you know, we're very, we've got West Wittering within driving distance to us, which has a dog section. Mm. So there is a bit that doesn't have, there's a people bit that's always bloody round. And then there's a dog section, which if you time it right, you can literally have the beach to you and a few other people. And it's wonderful yeah. and it's beautiful. But it is being sensible about it. You know, like I try not to let Dodge drink when he's swamping you know he goes in muddy puddles and all of that kind of thing I try not to let him drink from those dirty ranky muddy puddles yeah, yeah and I also hose him off when we get home so that he's not grooming the dirt and the mud off him because yeah. well especially with Alabama rot being a thing now as well yeah, that adds to the list of oh my god what's going to go yeah. wrong with my dog? yeah yeah but if yeah. you are doing beach trips, guys, and your dogs don't go to the beach regularly, like, do be aware. Um, I'm not a fan of tennis balls anyway. Um, shepherds are prone to swallowing them. Um, yeah. I'm yeah. like, no, your ball should have a handle or a rope on it. So yeah. then pull it back out if you need to. But yes. if you are, you know, taking your dog for a lovely day, do just be aware of these things that it could get hot. If your dog has been somewhere and it is acting differently, it's lethargic, it's being sick, it's coughing, please ring your vet. Don't go on yes. Dr. Facebook. Do and not go on Facebook. Yeah. 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 You're, you're registered with a vet. So therefore, um, you should be able to speak to somebody 24 hours a day and get advice. Do not go on Facebook. <laughs> and the thing is as well, you know, I mean, my insurance company, um, provides 24-hour like phone call vet that I can have a FaceTime conversation with a qualified yeah. vet and with I, my insurance. And I, this is one of the things, one of the big things that I talk about on our first aid courses as well is the, especially with pet professionals, because it's actually really surprising because one of the first things I ask, which is uh, in the workbook, okay, um, does anybody know which act allows you to carry out first aid to animals, um, in particular dogs, because we're talking about dogs today, does anybody know which act allows you to carry out first aid in an emergency to animals? And I, and I tell you what, it's very rare that anybody knows. I'm so, shaking my head like, nope, yeah, yeah, no, no yeah. idea. It's the Veterinary Surgeons Act, 1966. So especially pet professionals have to know the, the boundaries of that. So talking about social media, when somebody puts something on social media, I don't know, my dog's eating a grape, let's say, and you get 30 or 40 people tell them, um, what to do, oh, your dog will be fine, your dog won't be fine, blah, blah, blah. Um, especially for the ones that are saying, your dog will be fine, that, that is a diagnosis. Therefore, they have breached the Veterinary Surgeons Act. And if that, that owner followed that advice and the dog died of kidney failure um, because it reacted to the grape, they could actually come back and sue that person. And that people don't realise the reality of, of the of breaching the Veterinary Surgeons Act on social media. Um, it's very rare that I intervene, but when I do, I usually get told to fuck off anyway, you know, um, get back in your box. Um, but um, at least I've, I've broached it and I've said, you cannot be saying, you've made a diagnosis, you can't, it's highly irresponsible for you to yes. say your dog will be okay to somebody that you don't know on a social media platform. And you don't know the dog and all the rest of it, you know, from someone who's, um, one of my dogs has been on a drip at vets three times for chocolate. I sound like the worst bloody dog owner here. She is a little madam and will scale buildings to get yeah. to chocolate. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And generally dark chocolate as well, just to, just to yeah. like, you know, give mum a real palpitations and just to really fuck with me. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, I could I could turn around to people and go, well, you know, my chihuahua survived. Yeah. Right? 
but she was really bloody ill and one of them was very touch and go for 24 hours and it was terrifying yes you know I mean she's just walking towards me now with this little strut like yeah I, I keep you on your toes mama I keep you on your toes um recently I asked about um people's experiences um using labrella in younger dogs on mm. Facebook it was just that yeah. guys I just want a general kind of have you had success with it have you not and straight away I had people going well you can use Loxcom I, I cannot because mm. of Dodge's medical history at the moment that is a drug that my vet has said no we're not going to use that so yeah. I was specifically asking a question about a specific drug and people's yeah. experiences yes but straight away someone comes in and you're like Oh my goodness, you know, fireworks is one of the biggest ones. You know, I'm I'm so up on my fireworks and firework protocols and what to do and what can help. And also I know my dog. When people are giving out advice, you know, I say to my owners, personally, I try to test my dogs annually yes, rather than vaccinate. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That is my choice. You know, you do the same. That is your choice. Yeah. I'm not going to say to someone, do not vaccinate your dog. I will say yeah. to them, there is research, speak to your vet, you can do this test, blah, 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 blah. You know, I choose to give the Lepto vaccine to Dodge because he's a fucking small yeah. monster. Yeah, same of mine, yeah, I do too. Yeah. I don't give it to my girls because that's a choice that I make for my dogs, for myself. And I think this is where Dr. Facebook does lure people into a really dangerous place. Because also, you know, money is tight for some yes. for some people. Yes. You know, I mean, feck it. None of us want to throw money away for the sake of it. You know, we're not made of it. But if it's a welfare thing and it's the difference between spending £30 on a vet consultant and your dog being okay or asking Dr. Facebook and potentially your dog dying, I'd prefer to spend the 30 quid to get the vet. Yeah, yeah. yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to have to stop. Somebody's knocking on the door. One second. Right. These pesky blooming postmen, honestly, do they not know what I'm trying to record a book? <laughs> Hilarious. So the other thing with summer, um, that people aren't always aware of um and again this is going to be regional it's going to depend where you live in the uk where you live in the world you know snakes snakes oh, snakes. snakes yeah, yeah let's talk snakes now in the uk i think it's only adders that are poisonous uh, just the adders yeah yeah so their their activity time is generally march to july um, but it has been warm during sort of June, July. Um, it can still be seen August, September, and in, into October, even in definitely in the southern counties. And I think there was a retriever bitten by um, an adder. I don't know where about whereabouts it was in the UK, but um, in October last year. So that's really unusual. Um, but yeah, generally um, um, March to July, and they are all over the UK. Um, but obviously, certain certain areas of the country is renowned for, for adders. So yeah, Surrey Hills, Malverns. Canic Chase, um, Anglesey, uh, Lake District, parts of Northumberland. So yeah, it, it's all about um, just checking on social media, asking um, where the snake um, areas are. They tend to be in areas where there's a bit of a change in vegetation because they do like to come out and bask in the sun, but they do like somewhere to escape undercover. So mm -hmm. that's usually where you get a mix, um, so like bridle paths, woodlands, that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, 
Um, sand dunes is another one. Actually, Anglesey is pretty rife with, with adders um, on, on the big sand dunes, especially like areas like Ross Niger. Um, there's always dogs bitten and killed every year on Ross Niger, sand dunes and, and Anglesey. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's being aware of where they are and then adder staying away. Um, um, during the, during those months, but you can um, you can get snake bells actually. Um, and um, again, the bells are not going to be suitable for every dog because some dogs might be a bit too sound sensitive, but um, or it might annoy the dogs, but um, or upset them. But if you've got a dog that's fairly okay with things like that, um, and this is taken from like Asia, um, so a lot of the pet dogs have got got bells on. So we know snakes are deaf because that's one well, snakes are deaf, but they're very sensitive to vibration. So mm -hmm. that vibration will, will scare them away. Yeah. Oh, so that's really good to know. So um, Munch used to when we used to go on our big event in the woodlands we don't tend to do them anymore she prefers the yeah. but I used to put a falconry bell on her mainly yeah. so that I could yeah. hear where she was yeah. Yeah. but actually the fact that it also warns the wildlife that there is yeah. a dog coming so yeah, yeah. if your dog yeah. isn't noise sensitive guys having bells on them when you're going into woodland or different areas it gives you the reassurance that you can hear where your dog is if they have nipped yeah. outside Try and keep yeah. your dog close to you and not just let it go yeah. further around the woods, just yeah. saying. Yeah. But if that can potentially help save a snake and your dog, because the snake yeah. doesn't want to bite your dog. Let's make sure no, we're not crashing here. Because no, no. I love reptiles. Um, yeah. But if a snake feels threatened and if your dog decides it's going to try and pick up an adder, that's probably not yeah. going to end well. Yeah. Now, again, it's not necessarily size and breed, is it? Because... Oh, you that my German Shepherd might be all right, but my Chihuahua is probably not going to be. Yeah, but actually, yeah. Golden Retrievers, Labradors, a lot of these bigger breeds have ended up deceased because of a snake yeah. bite, haven't they? Yeah, so, yeah. so, yeah, the, the, yeah, the main instruction, if you, if you think that your dog has been uh, bitten by a snake, you have to immobilise the dog. So if it's a little dog, carry it. Um, if it's a big dog, pop it and leave and walk it slowly to the car and then off to the vets. And that's because we don't want the venom to um, move around too much. Mm -hmm. um, do not tourniquet either because you do not want it to be concentrated either. Um, right, now just it. repeat that again because obviously yeah. in people, in films, we've all watched the Western film where they've been <laughs> bitten by the rattler and they put the bandage around their arm and then they're fine. Yeah, yeah. Do no, not just... put a tourniquet or a bandage no, around your dog if it's been bitten by a snake and no, that's really good because no. i would have gone well do we tourniquet this or not no, 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 no. Okay. because snake venom um causes necrosis of the flesh so even if you didn't notice the dog was was bitten by a snake maybe in 48 hours um you will see an area that just looks horrible like a big abscess so basically the flesh is rotting um and that's usually the first times that we see if the owner didn't notice the dog was bitten mm -hmm. um also you can get what we call dry bites as well where you might not never know um that means there's been no venom um you know uh gone into the flesh but um yeah um if, if you get a full bite then there will be venom yeah and obviously uh then there's the risk of anaphylaxis so then you've got to watch out for anaphylaxis which can happen with anything can happen with a bee sting can happen with um inhalation of um you know house spray or anything so uh, knowing the signs of anaphylaxis is really important as well but um going back to the snakes it's really important that you know which vets in the area carry antivenom 
Um, because not every vet will carry antivenom because it, you need a special license for it, but also it's very expensive to keep and has a short shelf life. Um, and I, I think somebody told me that there's only one vet on the whole of Anglesey that carries antivenom. Um, so, yeah, so, and if you're going on holiday anyway, uh, it's a good idea to know where the vets are and, and what their protocols are, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, but I think yeah. we're fairly lucky. Um, Adders are the only venomous snake in the UK. Certainly when I'm working in Asia, it's lethal. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, American listeners, you have copperheads, yeah. rattlers and stuff that yeah. affect you yeah. up. Yeah. Try and avoid them if you can. Um, also, Australia. So when I was out um, yeah, yeah, yeah. visiting um, my brother and all the Hooper's Wild instructors over in Australia, shout out to my Perth Chewies um, <laughs> and my WA Chewies and you guys. We were walking through the park and there were snakes on the path. And I was like, oh, is this like a little child? My brother was like, no, no, no. That means there are snakes. Don't let the dog go near the bushes. And I was like, I'm sorry, what? <laughs> what do you mean there are snakes in the bushes? Yeah. And I tell you what, I've never been so jumpy in yeah. my life. Yeah, the main, the main instructions in Asia, don't walk in long grass and don't walk under trees. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, yeah. God, yeah, because they're in the trees as well. Oh, yeah, the vipers drop out of the trees. And, and this is the thing, like, I actually, I'm pretty cool with reptiles and snakes. Don't mind yeah, them, that's yeah. cool. But yeah. when you know there's a risk of you getting bit by something, that's not nice. Yeah. So yeah. talking about kind of stings, because this is going to be the other one that tends to happen in the summer, and I have to tell my guys all the time, don't catch wasps, don't catch bees, let's not do that, guys. Sky raisins, like some people encourage their dogs to chase flies and stuff. I'm like, if yeah. your dog catches flies, that's great. But if it catches a wasp or a bee, that yeah. could be. Also, we need the bees, people. Bees help our lives. Let's save the bees. Yes. You don't want your dog getting stung. No, no. What do you do if it does? Yeah. I mean, if you saw that it was a bee, um, bees tend to leave their stingers so you need to find the stinger and take it out but don't pull it out directly because they've got a barb on them and if you trigger the barb it actually pulls it more venom in um, so that's why they always say flick it out sideways so flick it out with a fingernail or a credit card or a teaspoon or okay I did not know that thank you very yeah. much good yeah. tip um, the other thing as well, bee venom um, is acidic. So um, to try and counteract the acidity, you can put um, um, bicarbonate of soda powder, add some water to make a paste, dab that on um, liberally. It might just counteract the acidity of the, the venom. Um, wasps are the opposite. So wasp venom is actually alkaline. Um, so you need to put vinegar on. So the way to remember which way around it is that B starts with the same letters bicarbonate. So B for B. Mm -hmm. If you remember B for B, you should be able to remember VW as in the car brand for wasp and vinegar. So yeah. vinegar for wasp. I like yeah. this. Amazing. So if, you, if, you, if you didn't see what insect it was, um, then you can just use an ice pack and just, you know, some frozen vegetables wrapped in a tea towel. And that might help with the pain. But generally, you'll just get localized swelling. Um, and that usually goes down with a, within a few hours. But if you phone the vets, they'll probably tell you to give a dose of Periton, um, which is very safe, but just always go under veterinary instruction for your Periton. Because of the dosage, because again, yeah. obviously yeah. a Chihuahua is going to need a lot less than a Shepherd is. Yeah. So yes. yeah. ring your vet, people, is what we're saying. You might not even need to go to the vet. The vet may be able yeah. to say to you over the phone, have you got a Periton? Can you give them yeah. half a tablet or however much it is? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I like, right, so B, if it's a bee sting bicarbonate and flick it, don't pull it if for the yeah. sting. And if it's a bastard wasp, because I'm sorry, I don't do wasps. <laughs> yeah. No, bastard wasps. 
Um, we actually had a hornet this year as well. Oh, and I was like, oh my God, what's the, is that thing? Yeah. yeah, that was terrifying. I didn't like that. And the dogs were like, oh, what's that? I was like, get away from it. Do not go near it. I'm assuming a hornet sting is going to be worse. Than- yeah, yeah, yeah. They're pretty nasty, aren't they? But I think they're in the wasp family. So I'm guessing, although I need to look that up, um, their venom is probably going to be alkaline as well. But um, but I'm not going to lie. If there's a hornet around, like, just don't let it sting your dogs. And, yeah. and maybe it can leave this mortal call. Sorry if anyone likes them but no it's not a thing <laughs> so Rach, what would be kind of have you got any sort of other first aid tips so one of the things um I mean I have a little first aid kit in my van you know I'm yeah. a dog trainer again yeah. all pet professionals you should have a bloody first aid kit yes. um I've actually used it on people more than I've used on dogs I'm not <laughs> yeah. um but just having a little basic if you're going for a long walk, if you're going somewhere new, having a little pack with you, you're yes. going to feel like a blooming Girl Scout, Boy Scout, whatever you want to be. But it is better to be prepared, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. And again, I think if you're looking after other people's dogs, you're expected to, be, to have and be prepared. Um, yeah, I have designed um, first aid kits. Um, so I've got a bigger one that... Um, that just sits in your car or your van or at home and it's got copious amounts of bandages in because I think what you find is when you're buying first aid kits there's actually nothing in there that's um, useful for a diet emergency you've got all the other things um, tip removers all that kind of thing which are useful but they're yeah. not going to save your dog's life all right um, so yeah copious amounts of bandages um, tourniquets uh, foil blankets gauze pads you know for pressure and that kind of thing and then I've designed a small one which is about so big um, that yeah it can clip on your belt or whatever and that's for diet emergencies so it's modeled on like the stab kits that nightclubs have now um, okay. diet emergencies so it's got a bo- bottle of coagulation powder in called clotit tourniquet foil blanket one set of bandage that's it I think yeah so just yeah. For diet emergencies yeah yeah, yeah. There's, there's a little bit of room in there to put um some of the things in if you wanted and same with the big one um yeah so i mean those those sell like hotcakes at uh, my first aid workshops yeah 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 because i mean we've got what we call the big first aid box at home which i'm not gonna yeah. lie my dog's one's bigger than my one it's got saline yeah. spray in it it's got yeah, the gauze, yeah. it's got yeah. vet wrap it's got all of that stuff yeah. but yeah the one i've got in my van is mainly bandages gauze um saline spray also yeah. um I like the Lucillin spray. Um, yeah, perfect, yeah. That's great. You know, that works on people yeah. and dogs and everything as far as I'm yeah. concerned. Yeah. Back yeah. in the day of horses, it was purple spray. You used to put bloody purple spray on everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now yeah. we don't have to dye everyone purple, which is great. Yeah. Um, but talking ticks, because this is the other thing, like in the kind of sometimes ticks and... Um, Fleas, not so much, you know, dogs can get fleas at any time of the year because we live in centrally heated houses and we don't break the cycle. And speak to it, if you do get fleas in the house, you're probably going to need to spray your house as well as treat your animals because, ill. But ticks are one of those that people, the advice I see on Facebook, this is one, the advice I see on Facebook, how to remove a tick. How should you actually remove a tick, please? Yeah, if you've got, um, I mean, tick removers are great. So what you do, you slot, um, and they come in two sizes, don't they? You slot underneath the tick, and then you just turn gently turn the tick twist around, and it doesn't matter what where you go, um, and it'll just loosen. Yeah. Uh-huh. Oh, so ticks are the thing. I'm not going to lie, even talking to you now. 
my skin is crawling like they freak me I no they're not a thing where we are um there's quite a few deer there's quite a few sheep so obviously they are a thing um my guys tend to wear like one of the bead collars as well as having other stuff on again this is personal preference I know people that use the treatments monthly I know some that just use it in the summer not in the winter it's your choice speak to your vet work out what works for you and your dog but yeah yeah do not try and burn a tick off with a cigarette yes oh the other one is do not smother the tick in vaseline because what happens is it regurgitates and it regurgitate if it's diseased it regurgitate into the bloodstream yeah it should never smother a tick that's another really common um instruction that's given that's wrong yeah yeah I, I mean, I'm I'm obviously going back a few years because, like, sometimes the horses would get it and it'd be like, I oh, just put a fag, but put a fag on it and the tick will drop off. Yeah, no, don't put lit cigarettes <laughs> near animals, guys. That's not a thing. Um, oh. <laughs> I think back and I'm like, was I actually told that was a real thing? But you know, we've progressed and we've learned in science. Yeah. So the Vaseline one is a really common one. The other one, if you are using tweezers and not a tick twister, if you do have tweezers in your kit, again, you need to do the twisting thing. Don't yeah. try and pull because yeah. if you leave the yeah. head in, yeah. this is when you have problems, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Because it can cause infection, it can cause abscesses. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, I'm gently twist. Yeah, I'm really lucky in that um where I where I used to walk a lot and it was kind of the main place the dogs would pick up ticks was over the road from my vets and a couple of times I did notice a tick on the dog I'd quickly pop in and be like is one of the nurses available yeah, yeah. <laughs> because honestly those things are, uh, no they're disgusting and they always seem to get them either above their eye yeah. or like right in their ear where it's really difficult to yeah. get to but check your dogs over, guys, after walks. Do be, do make sure, you know, just because the mud has gone and we're like, yes, the dog's not muddy, do still check the rover, check their pads for grass seeds. That's the other one we need to be careful yeah. of in this time yeah. of yeah. yeah. Spaniels. What is it with Sp Spaniels are just grass seed magnets, right? Yeah, yeah. And they, they migrate as well, so they can cause a problem. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. Like, and I know this sounds like we're like, never leave the world, put your dog in bubble. <laughs> we're not saying that, guys, but we are just trying to make sure that you are aware of how to keep your dog safe and what to do in the emergency. And hopefully, because you have the knowledge, you will never ever need to use it. Yeah, ever. Yeah, exactly. You know, I always joke when I leave the vets, hopefully, I won't see you soon, guys, because <laughs> I don't want to see my vet soon. Yeah. <laughs> And what you can do is, um, is like go on my uh, Facebook page and um, find out my dates and where I'm going to be in the UK. Uh, I try and cover the whole of the UK. Obviously, it's very difficult to get into every part of the UK. Mm -hmm. um, with my face-to-face -face workshop, um, which you can come along as uh, attendance only and do the whole course for £50. Um, or we can, um, if you're a pet professional and you want to do the qualification, um, we do it as a mixed group. So um, the £50 people are doing exactly the same course. Um, it's just um, it's 120 for the IPET network um, qualification in um, uh, it's level three off call level three um, because obviously what you're paying for is a three year qualification and the qualification process as well um, but it's the only qualification at the moment in the UK in uh, canine first aid. Um, and if any any anyone in particular doesn't want to come to a class or a pet owner, um, they can do my online course. Um, 
and we could probably organise you a discount. Um, a oh, discount. that'd be amazing. Yeah, yeah. Okay. It's normally thirty-five, which is a really good price anyway. But I can give you a discount code, um, like a tenner off. So get oh, amazing! So, guys, listeners, see, look, yeah. we get all the good perks of the listeners. So we'll sort out a code, um, and I'll put it in the show notes, and people will be able to. Yeah find that discount that's really good um also yeah. it's good to know because i've i obviously recommend your course um as the first aid course to the hoopers world instructors and i need to get signed up on it as well because my my little expiration date is coming up i'm very aware of that but i think with covid and everything else that happened because the world stopped we sort of oh, yeah we, just, we lost the uh, year and forgot that was actually yeah. a year like yeah. that year did actually happen we're all trying to pretend it never did but it did <laughs> yeah. so yeah make sure guys that we are up to date with your um if you're a pet professional make sure you are up to date and obviously getting a, a decent qualification in first aid is really important but if you anyone listening has a dog I mean if you don't have a dog and you're listening like I really appreciate you and amazing but if you are a pet owner like as Rachel said, you know, you can go online, you can do you can do Rachel's online course and you get a little discount um, for being a Chewy list, a Hooper's World listener. And it's just about making sure that we're keeping our dogs safe and giving owners the best information we can to yes. what to do in an emergency. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, I enjoy teaching it as well. You know, it's it's um, um, so it's always a little bit repetitive. You're doing it every weekend, but I'm teaching to different people um, and different pet professionals. So, um, and I don't teach PowerPoint either. It's just round a table, and we work through a workbook, and it's very interactive. Oh, so, amazing! Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we Do you have the dog? Do you have the CPR yeah, yeah. dog? Yeah. Yeah. Because no, that's the thing as well. You know, giving knowing how to do CPR. Yeah. On a human the kind of the basics are the same for the dog but there are yeah, differences so being yeah. able to know how to do it on a dog in an emergency could literally be life-saving yeah. guys definitely definitely yeah yeah and I think people think oh I know how to do it um but actually if you if you if you're in that situation and you have to do it you soon find out that you don't yeah i'll do it yeah i did a course 15 years ago but then you put in a situation and shit yeah i actually don't know how to do it yeah you want to be able to if if you're there and you're telling people you're first aid qualified guys you should yeah. be able to to do yeah. it okay yeah. um so rachel if um people are on facebook or um the tinter web where can they find you yeah, um, you can just um, uh, add me on my private um, um, Facebook page, which is with everything dog anyway. So it's just Rachel Bean and then Qualified Veterinary Nurse. But on my other page um, is Canine First Aid Workshops, um, Rachel Bean, RPN. That's it. Yeah. Cool. Amazing. So, guys, you can get the information there. We'll get that discount count discount code oh my god put my teeth back in today what is going on um we'll get that code sorted out for you so if you're an owner you can um get a little bit of a discount and that means that our listeners in australia and yeah. america and sweden and denmark and wherever all the other international yeah. listeners are that we appreciate thank you for listening from all over the world um you can join in on that because it is online which is why we love online yeah. training so much because everyone's invited which is amazing yeah. 
So guys, until next time, obviously you can follow my dogs on the social media. Remember as well, Canine Hoopers World now has the Achievement Awards, which you can do online with your dogs. We've just released the Puppy Award as well. So if you've got a dog that is under 12 months and you haven't quite started your Hoopers journey yet, but you know you want to do dog sports, check out our Puppy Achievement Awards because they're going to give you the basis for all your dog sports, including agility, obedience, that kind of stuff. And until next time, stay safe, be kind, wash your hands thoroughly, keep your dogs on lead around livestock and don't let them lick toads. Take care, guys. Bye. Website www.caninehooperswild.com Canine Hoopers World now has achievement awards online so anyone, anywhere can test their teamwork and get one of our beautiful rosettes. There's even one for puppies. The website will tell you more about that and hoopers, how to find an instructor. We also offer online training. There are beginners courses, we offer online training in distance handling and there are instructor courses for dog trainers. Join us on Facebook, we have a friendly international group and follow us on Instagram at Canine Hoopers World. Canine Heap as well, everyone's invited.